Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we do thank you so much for this time again that we can come and consider your word together, that we can come and honor you, adore you and worship you. And God, we just pray that you would speak as we look at your word. As we hear your spirit move. Instruct us, we pray. Or we join in with Samuel, who as a child said, speak, for your servant listens. So God, we pray that you would speak. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the commentaries that I frequently look at is is the is a commentary by a guy named Gary Burge. And as he was reflecting on the passage we're going to look at today, he shared this story. Shared a story about a, from a young pastor, and there was a woman in his congregation, or sort of in her congregation, who had become critically ill. And her prognosis was grim. She would not make it through the next year in her life. See, her family was what some people call CEO Christians. Christmas, Easter only. They would show up on the big holidays. They would come and celebrate. They'd get all dressed up and they'd go home and wouldn't come back till the next big holiday came around. And because their commitment to the church and commitment to the gospel and commitment to the body of Christ was so minimal, every time the pastor came and spent time with them in the hospital, prayed with them, opened the word of God with them, it was like he was, he was laying new ground all over the place. Every, every teaching was responded with questions of, what about this, what about that? And so finally, one day the young lady asked the pastor, he said, so if, if Jesus healed in the Bible, he should be able to heal me today. In fact, she got so brash, she said, if not, what good was he? What good is he? If he's not going to heal me today, then what good is he at all? And so she prayed. The pastor prayed. Her family prayed. Everybody prayed and pleaded and begged and bargained. And they said, God, if you would only heal her, we promise we will commit our lives completely to you. We will be in church every Sunday. We will participate fully in the body of Christ. And so the pastor joined them in prayer. He joined them in faith. In fact, he, he refused to pray, if thy will be done. He believed that God wanted her healed, and so he prayed to that end. It was God's will to heal her, he concluded. And so to everybody's surprise and amazement, God did heal her. And the physicians were shaking their heads the day Less than a week later, when she walked out of the hospital, they thought she was going to be rolled out in a, in a coffin. See, we talk a lot about prayer and faith. We talk a lot about trusting Jesus. And sometimes we look for signs and wonders. Sometimes we look for those big, miraculous things for God to do. And we think, God, if you would only do this, man, they would believe they would have faith. But I have a question. If, 
If God were to do all of the things that we asked him to, if, we, if God were to heal this person, if God were to move in that way, if God were to solve this global conflict, what would be the result? Would we grow in our faith or would we just resign and say, okay, God, thanks. Today, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John together, we're going to look at the second sign that, that John includes in his Gospel in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles and want to open there, that'd be, that'd be great. It'd be helpful to see it there. The words will be on the screen as well. But see, we've got to keep in mind that John is choosing specific things as he's laying out his Gospel. He's laying out the story of Jesus' life. He's chosen a handful of what he calls signs to to help us understand that Jesus isn't just an average person. In fact, we already saw that in the end of his gospel, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he's writing all these things out so that we would believe in him and have eternal life. So as we think about this, this brief section of Scripture, we're going to reflect on this theme, and that is that whether we are coming to Jesus for salvation or walking daily with Him, we must recognize how helpless we are and how helpful He is. So as we process through this, let's begin by kind of understanding the situation. I want to go back through the passage that Carolyn read and just reflect on some of the cultural and and situational implications, this cultural element. So let's look at verse 46. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. Now I know some of these towns were like, oh, Cana, Capernaum, where is this? You see, Jesus, if you remember, last week we talked about Jesus with with the Samaritan woman. And he had been in Samaria for a few days. So he walked, most likely a couple of days, up to Cana, a mountain town in the western region of Galilee, just west of the body of water there. Capernaum, the other town that was mentioned, was is on the north coast, about 20 miles from Cana. And so we have this governing official that is listed. He, and they, in, our, in my translation, it calls him an official. He's not a religious official. He's a political official. He served the king. And so here, verse 47, it continues. When this man, the official, heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he, his son, was at the point of death. Now, I don't know how long Jesus was at Cana. John doesn't give us that information. But being a a royal official, I want you to think about this. This guy most likely had some means. I mean, isn't it true that all politicians, once they get into office, immediately become super wealthy? I mean, he had power, he had influence, and yet his son was gravely ill. And all of the things that he had, all of his resources, he was powerless to heal his son. So he hears about Jesus. And he came to Jesus and asked, or really in Greek, it's, he pleaded, Jesus, please come and heal my son. Jesus replied in a very interesting way. Look at verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you, in Greek that's plural, unless y'all, See signs and wonders you will not believe. So it's interesting that he, 
he responds to this man this way. He pushes back against him. And he calls him out among all of the other Galileans saying, unless you guys see signs and wonders. In fact, it's kind of interesting that Jesus uses that phrase signs and wonders because almost every other time that the word signs is used in the gospel of John, it's used by itself. Signs and wonders indicate like a show. He wants people want to see magic. They want to see, oh, make us in awe of you, Jesus, because you do this. It's as though he's calling them out, saying that all you want is to be entertained. And in spite of Jesus pushing back, the official said to him in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, instead of pleading or begging, he's not on his knees anymore. He's commanding. He's using an imperative. And he's saying, come down. You come down to, Ga- to Capernaum. And, you know, from our vantage point, you have, you have Galilee. Let me use this hand. So from your, you have Galilee, you have Cana over here and Capernaum up north. And so we think, well, he's going to, has to go up. Well, Cana is in the mountains and Capernaum is below sea level, so he's got to come down. And so that's why he's referring to it that way. But he, the, the important point, I think, is that he's gone from begging to commanding. Jesus, come down. And so Jesus responds with an equally insistent reply. Go. Your son will live. That command to go is the same type of imperative. He tells him, go, and he promises healing. And so at his word, the man obeys and believes. Verse 50 says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, now think about this. Here's this powerful man with a dying child, and he's completely helpless. Imagine what that would be like to feel like you have no res- All of the resources you have are not going to help you in this situation. Now, keep in mind that being about 20 miles apart, 20 miles is about what an average person can walk at a regular pace in a day. So if this man walked from Capernaum to Galilee, he invested a day to get there. Jesus just pushed him off and said, go home. Now he's got another day to go back. Maybe he's got an entourage. I don't know. We, you know, in our, in our mindset, we think 20 miles. I mean, that's a half hour, maybe an hour in traffic, right? Or two if you're going through D.C. But he had invested, even if he rode a horse or had a chariot, he had invested at least a day, at least a half day, maybe a whole day just to get there. And now he's on his way back. So in verses 51 to 54, the section concludes. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he, when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So not only had he expressed trust in Jesus at his word and believed that Jesus was going to do what he asked him to from a distance. But now John seems to be signaling that this man had a greater faith, not just belief in the miracle, but belief in who Jesus is. 
the sign indicated that Jesus was more. And I think as we think about this encounter between Jesus and the official, I think there's some, some application questions that we can glean. Are you guys warm too? Yeah. We might need to look at that. So let's consider, let's apply the word of the Lord together. You see, there are elements in the experience in this experience that really touch so many other elements of our lives, so many parts of our lives. It's not just healing and prayer, but it really gets to the very core of our salvation. It gets to our prayer lives. And so as we apply this passage, we're going to consider some principles that I think are described or depicted here. And the first is this, that we must perceive our own helplessness. We must perceive our own helplessness. You see, just as the official recognized that in spite of all his power and all his resources, he was helpless to heal his son. We have to recognize that we're in that same place. We are helpless. You see, as a society, we have so many resources. We in the United States live among, we have the highest standard of living of almost anybody in the world. Even the poorest among us would be considered kings compared to much of the world. The freedoms we enjoy, the autonomy we exhibit, they all speak volumes to the control that we seem to be able to experience. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we have to recognize that those resources, that those gifts are worthless. We are still so helpless. You know, it's not a day, you know, it's almost like daily we hear reports of so much money was spent to solve this problem. So much money was spent to solve this problem. So much money was wasted over here on this thing. We like to throw money at problems, assuming that it's going to fix everything. But one of the things we have to recognize is that we are trying to fix spiritual problems with material solutions. And we have to recognize that that will never work. We can't spend enough money on our spirituality to make it work. We are spiritually helpless and destitute without hope. And that is without hope outside of Jesus. But beyond just perceiving our helplessness, we can follow the official's example and plead for help from the capable one. See, Jesus is the king. The man knew none of the doctors I've been to can help. None of the servants that I have, they can't help my son. None of the remedies, nothing has worked with my son. I need to go to the one who is capable. Whether we're coming to him for our eternal salvation or pleading for him to fix an unfixable situation, we need to recognize that Jesus is the one who can act. He is the one who can save. He is the one who can heal. And I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you've not yet trusted in what Jesus did on the cross for your sin and mine, then let me encourage you to recognize your own sinfulness, your helplessness, and repent of your sinfulness and your rebellion against God. Receive his salvation. You see, our sin, those things that we do and think and say that are contrary to God's word, those sins keep us separated from God. But Jesus, by his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, he made a way for us to be in a relationship with him. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then Paul continues with this confidence that we have everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I want to just encourage us to more than just coming to Jesus for salvation. I think there's a huge element of prayer in this. The, the discipline of prayers to me screams loud and clear in this passage. You see, in prayer, we recognize our need, our helplessness. We plead for Jesus to act and move. In prayer, we express our hope that he will do exactly what is according to his will. And in prayer, we regularly submit to his will. So so we can observe that the official perceived his helplessness and he came to Jesus and pled for him to act. But we should also follow his example and that we should persist in hope that God will act. You see, when Jesus pushed back, stating that you guys, all you want to do is have a sign. All you want to do is be entertained. The man insisted, come down and heal my son. He was trying to tell him, I don't care about the sign. All I care about is my son. And you're the one who can do this. His intentions were true and his situation was desperate. But I wonder, how often are our prayers sort of like flower petals that are tossed up into the wind and they just float? We hope they land on Jesus' ears. We hope that they just make their way. Oh God, would you bless me or would you bless this person? Would you be with so-and-so? And then we move on and we never come back. We don't persist in what we're praying for. Our prayer is flowing, is out there flowing in the wind and hoping it lands on Jesus' ears. And, And instead, we can learn from this man that our prayerful posture should be one of persistence. Bringing requests before the Lord over and over and over again until he acts, until he moves. You see, Jesus told us how we should pray in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. He said, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about this people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give you give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? 
Beloved, we need to keep praying. Keep pleading for that loved one to return to God. To get his or her life in alignment with him. Keep asking for God to save, to act, to move, to heal. But finally, as we can see in this official, we should proceed in faith. You see, at some point, the man ex- this man exhibited at least a short-term faith, a kind of kind of like uh, the family that we had that we saw at the beginning, who prayed for a miracle. This man had to act in faith. He had to move on from Jesus, saying, "Okay, I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do." He knew he was helpless in spite of the fact that Jesus was going, wasn't going with him. And he trusted Jesus to heal, even from a distance. So at some point, we have to trust that God is at work and that he is good to fulfill his word. Now, I want to encourage you, this is not a, a commentary. This faith is not a commentary on the strength or the substance of what we have in believing but on the object of our faith in Jesus Christ. I can believe all I want, but if my faith is in the wrong person or in the wrong thing, it's not going to mean anything. We learned a few months ago in our study of Hebrews that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And that, in Hebrews 11, 1, that really opens up this whole chapter that we see in in lives of Old Testament people who lived by faith. And I want to encourage you, maybe this afternoon, take a little time to read Hebrews 11, just to reflect on how God moved and worked through the faith of these heroes. As they walked, they, they trusted that God would accomplish His will. But for us, what does proceeding in faith look like? And I think, first of all, in salvation, it looks like trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, he covered your sin for eternity. And in light of that, it means trusting that God is at work in you, shaping you, transforming you. It means changing your paradigm. From a paradigm that says, I have to perform, I have to do all the right things. It's up to me to recognizing that you don't have to perform. Jesus has already paid. Performance gets to be in gratitude and thanks for all that God has done. We don't seek to live holy lives so that we can earn God's favor. We seek to live holy lives out of gratitude for the life that he has saved us to. So if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to just encourage you, no amount of going to church, no amount of doing good things, no amount of helping people in need, none of that is going to help you get eternal life. It's only by recognizing your helplessness. But secondly, this faith, proceeding in faith in prayer, I think means persistently bringing things before the Lord and waiting on Him to move. Not trying to manipulate a situation. Have you ever done that? We pray and say, God, would you please do this? And then we think, let me go help God out. And let me talk to this person and let me pound them over the Bible. Let me, over the head with the Bible. Or let me try to manipulate this in this way. And, and we're really not stepping out in faith. Asking that God would do what he says he would. 
So we're persistently bringing things before the Lord and then waiting on Him to move. I think it means paying attention to the, how, how the Holy Spirit is leading you. Doing things on God's terms and in His time, even if that time is so much longer than we might think. And I got to tell you, in closing, I wish I could say that I'm really good at this, but I can't. So often I feel like my prayers are vague platitudes. There's a general lack of desperation in my personal prayer life. And I wonder sometimes if that speaks to either how much or how little I trust that God works through prayer. And I got to tell you, I have a lot to learn in this area. I need to grow. And so I want to ask you, will you pray for me even as I seek to improve how I pray for you? And will we walk in faith even if God says no to our request? Will we trust him even if it means waiting on his perfect timing for years or decades? When we began today, I shared the story about healing, a story we would love to see. I've had friends who've had permanent illnesses, debilitating things for years. And I've prayed and asked, God, would you please do this? It's so neat to see when that happens. But in the, in the vein of the late Paul Harvey, let me tell you the rest of the story. You see, after that woman was healed... The next Sunday, her entire family was there in the front pew, dressed and sparkling. In fact, the woman even got up and she gave a testimony. God healed me. She was praising God for his goodness. The following Sunday, the family was there again. In only four weeks, it was only the woman and her husband. And after that, attendance was sporadic. until they dropped into their previous pattern. Before long, the woman rationalized the entire incident. You see, she had experienced the most dramatic sign that God could give her, healing, bathed in prayer and surrounded by the church. But after only two months, it had lost its power and dimmed to nothing. Sadly, the miracle was all the faith, all they had to their faith. They wanted a show. And they got a show and it revealed the emptiness of their belief. You see, this man, this ruler, we don't know, you know, from the book of John, we don't know about the long-term commitment he made. John doesn't tell us any more information about him than what we see here in John chapter 4. But John seemed to indicate that this man believed that he had faith. He had the very thing that John is hoping that all of us would get to. And so the question I have for us is, what about you and me? Do we have faith to believe or are we looking for a show? Will we only believe if God heals this person or fixes that situation? Will we pray persistently and then act in faith? waiting on God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this encounter.
Jesus, that you had with this ruler. Thank you for the things that we can learn. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk by faith. To recognize our own helplessness, recognizing that you are all sufficient. You are the capable one, the one who is able to heal. So God, we pray in some situations that you would heal. That you would restore sight to the blind and that you would restore wholeness to the broken. But if, God, that won't glorify you most, then we pray that you would act according to your will. And give us faith to trust you, even in the midst of that disappointment. God, you work in mysterious ways. Most of all, you work gloriously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, redeeming us by his blood. And so, Lord, we thank you for the life that we have in him. We pray that you are honored and glorified and pleased by the way that we live our lives for you. Help us to recognize our helplessness. Thank you for the eternal hope that we can have through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.